My name is Jesse Robinson. I add my welcome to that of Elisa and Wes. We are so thankful uh, to be with you this morning as we worship the Lord our God. I'm a pastor here. If you're new here, I would love to meet you after the service. That would be a delight. So I want to begin this morning telling you how my relationship with my wife started with a fundamental misunderstanding. Fundamental misunderstanding. So as a, as a teenager, I was not cool. So the way I compensated for that was that I liked cool music, or what I thought was cool music. Total music snob, loved indie music, whatever was not popular, I thought that was cool. I was that guy. My wife, on the other hand, well, as in our friendship, uh, I knew that she, this is before we were dating, I knew that she really, that she had gone to this concert by Glenn Hansard, this Irish singer-songwriter, very indie, very cool. And so when I decided to ask her out, I, I knew that a Broadway musical had been made with Glenn Hansard's music. Glenn Hansard's music. So I bought these tickets for her. We're not dating yet. This was like the most dramatic, romantic gesture I've ever done in my entire life. It's also the most money I've ever spent on anyone besides myself in my entire life. So I buy these Broadway tickets. It's a really, now, now, also disclaimer, I do not enjoy musicals. Everyone else in my entire family loves musicals. I do not. What was different about this musical is that everyone played an instrument. So it was like a concert, like one continuous concert. We both went, we loved it. We loved it. But we came away with a fundamental misunderstanding of each other. I thought that Jessica really liked good music. Jessica thought that I really loved musicals. Neither was true. It was about a year into our relationship when we realized, oh, you don't ever listen to music, and what you listen to is like weird musical music, you know, musical music. That's my part. She realized I don't like musicals. Fundamental misunderstanding. Now we're still together. We're still together. But sometimes we project a certain image of people. We don't really know them. That's what, that's what marriage is. That's what friendship is. It's, it's actually winnowing down in, past the projections to find out what the, the person truly is like. We've been wandering around the wilderness with Israel this Lenten season. And Lent is that season in which the church asks the Lord to search her and know her heart, to try her and see if there's any grievous way in her. Lent is a time to turn off the spiritual cruise control. It's a time to come to the Lord for a biopsy, to see what cancer needs to be cut out of our hearts. And that's what we're doing right now. We are in the wilderness, inviting the Lord to meet us there. And this morning, our Lord wants to, for us to end our projections of who He is. And here's what God's Word says this morning. That our idolatry, which is a rejection of the true God, must be destroyed or it will destroy us. Our idolatry, a rejection of the true God, must be destroyed or it will destroy us. First, we'll consider the definition of idolatry, the divine rejection of idolatry, and the destroyer of idolatry. So first, the definition of idolatry. In our story today, Moses is on the mountain. And the people are in the wilderness of Sinai. 
the people gang up on Aaron and ask for him to make them gods to go before them. And so he gathers out their gold jewelry and melts it down and crafts the golden calf out of it. And friends, there's a way in which the wilderness reveals our idolatry. It's in the wilderness where we lose control, where the things in our life that, that we put our trust in are absent. And so what is left exposed is just our brute hearts. Where are we really putting our trust? The people are anxious. They're feeling exposed. They haven't seen Moses for a while. And they need someone to lead them. It says in verse 1, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. They, kn- they know that they need someone to go before, before them, to lead them. They need direction. They need something concrete for assurance. They don't want to live by faith. They want sight. Do you see how the wilderness exposes their idolatry? This golden calf episode, you probably know about it, if you know anything about the Bible. It is the idol story of Israel. It comes up time and time again in the Bible. And idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible. But we need to make a quick distinction here, because when many of us hear idols, we... uh, Imagine some sort of totem or a statue. We picture a statue of Venus or Vishnu that we may have seen in the art museum. But idolatry in the scriptures is a worship of a false god. It's the breaking of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Idolatry is a breaking of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. But that's actually not the idolatry here in Exodus 32. Let's look a little bit closer. Verses 4 through 6 seem to indicate that the people are worshiping the Lord. They say in verse 4, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the ESV translates the word gods, plural, but the Hebrew is Elohim, which can also just mean God, singular, like and it refers to God. Which makes sense in verse 5, when Aaron calls a religious feast. He says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. A feast to Yahweh, the personal name of God. They offer sacrifices and offerings, just as they do later in the tabernacle. This seems to be a worship service to the Lord. So this is not paganism. It's syncretism. In the ancient Near East, the bull symbolized fertility and strength. And so they're using something in their cultural background to represent God. Old Testament scholars maintain that the ancients did not believe an idol was a god, as if this statue is God. No, they believed an idol was a representation of God. It was a symbol. That's exactly what the Israelites would have seen in Egypt, idols representing the pantheon of gods. So what they're doing here is just worshiping the Lord in the way of the Egyptians. The people are not turning to a different God, the golden calf God. They are worshiping the Lord in the golden calf. They're breaking the second commandment, which is this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
This is second commandment idolatry, not first. First commandment idolatry is worshiping a false god. Second commandment idolatry is worshiping the right god wrongly. Let's say that again. Second commandment idolatry is worshiping the right god wrongly. And friends, the scriptures speak a lot more about this second commandment idolatry. In fact, it's what the God's people fall into time and time again from here until Esther. Like the whole Old Testament history is God's people falling into second commandment idolatry. They rarely totally abandon God as if they're worshiping just a totally different God. What they constantly do is worship God in the wrong way way that he is not told them to worship them. This is God's people idolatry. And that's important for us. Because this passage is not calling out the idolatry of, of the Gentiles, the pagans. It's calling out the idolatry of God's people. This is for us. It's for us. Now, we might want to say, well, yeah, God, but don't you see Israel's intentions? Like they're trying to worship the Lord. Doesn't that count? They're setting apart a feast for him. They're offering sacrifices. The only thing they've done is just placed a big golden calf in the sanctuary that they're directing to. But the way that we worship, actually, it reflects who we think God is. And so the changing of any part of the worship is actually a changing of who the God is that we are worshiping. And so the second commandment idolatry actually ends up being a first commandment idolatry. When you worship God wrongly, you end up worshiping the wrong God. Now, I know that if I go over to your house, I'm probably not going to see a big golden calf in your living room. That's probably not your thing. Okay, that's not your sin. But we break the second commandment all the time. How how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, think about it this way. We are made in the image of God. But how many times do we actually try to make God in our own image? We are the image of God, and yet we're not content with that. We want to make a God who looks like us, who looks like our passions, who looks like our faults, our propensities. We make God in our own image. And so what might this look like? Well, in late modern consumer capitalism, we make God over as a kind of vending machine, right? I just want to get all these things from God. Or God is a life coach. God is here to help me maximize my gifts and to self-actualize. Or we worship the God of the foxholes. Only when we are in dire danger do we actually acknowledge him or turn to him. And do you see how all of those misrepresent who God truly is? An idol is any representation that we wrongly identify with the Lord. And like Israel, friends, we absorb cultural values and make them golden calves, identifying them with the Lord. Some American Christians have so identified their political convictions with God that they are breaking the second commandment. They genuinely believe that they are worshiping the true God, but their religion has become mingled with the cultural ideology du jour. They are not worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, 
the wilderness exposes our false theologies. It exposes what we have misbelieved about who God truly is. It exposes how we made God into our image, which is to say that we want to define God how we want, which is in itself a bid to be God. Right? I want control. I want pleasure. And so I will say God is whoever I say he is. But here's what idolatry is at its heart. It's a rejection of God, which is our second point, the divine rejection of idolatry. To understand this story, we need to back up for context. We skipped over some crucial parts of Exodus. You can think of Exodus as as a story about a damsel in distress and the hero sweeping in. The damsel Israel is enslaved and devalued. And the Lord sweeps in, fights the villain Egypt, and saves her. And he loves her, and he proposes to her. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's proposal language, isn't it? And then this wedding ceremony happens in Exodus 19 through 24 at the foot of Mount Sinai. The people even washed up, and they put on the, the right garments. Principles of this marriage are these vows. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They're part of these vows that the people take in their marriage to the Lord. And after the wedding, they, they marry, and then Moses ascends to the mountain for 40 days to receive the Lord's instructions for how Israel will make a proper home for her new husband. And these final vows, I want you to see them. They're in Exodus 24. This is what the vows look like. 24-7. This is Moses Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Did you hear the I do there? All that the Lord has spoken we will do. They were saying, I do. I commit to you, Lord. Verses 7 through 10 in Exodus 32 is God's reaction to to what has just happened, this golden calf. Let's look at it. It has all the passion and intensity of a spurned lover. It says in verse 7, he says, Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Do you hear that dissociation? It's your people. It's the dissociation of divorce. They have rejected him. In verse 8, they have turned as I quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Like in less than 40 days, Israel has totally broken their vows. God's saying how quickly you've broken this. And that's exactly why when Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets that had God's law written on them. Moses is not throwing a tantrum. Moses is giving them a symbol. Do you see what you've done? You've broken the covenant that you made with God. It's the equivalent of taking your wedding ring off and throwing it in your spouse's face. And the way that God takes this is that God has been rejected. Do you see that? Do you hear that? God has been rejected. And that's how he feels about idolatry. He takes this Profoundly personally. Profoundly personally. Let me illustrate. Let's say I commissioned uh, a sculpture 
a statue for my wife, of my wife. And once the sculpture was done, she delivered it to me. And I unveil it for my wife. It's a figure of an old girlfriend. How do I feel about that? Or what if I unveiled it and it was a cow? <laughs> that would be a travesty, <laughs> right? Because neither represent my wife. It's a lie. And the one who would be most hurt would be my wife because I'm seriously missing her. Do I really even know her? That's what the Lord is saying here. Friends, idolatry is wrong because God says it's wrong. And wouldn't he have the right to say it's wrong? Doesn't God have the right to pick who represents him? We, we, have, a, we have laws that, that embody this, that you get to pick your power of attorney, right? Someone who represents you. Is it not more important that God, who is the creator of all the universe, whom we would never have any notion of unless he revealed himself to us, that he has the right to represent himself however he would choose. And what is so dangerous about idolatry is that any creaturely representation of him is going to come up terribly short because he's not a creature. He is the creator. He's the one who made it all. And so even though all creation reflects him, it's going to miss him. It will have none of the glory and beauty and majesty of his uncreated being. It's like digging a trench in my morning oatmeal to represent the Grand Canyon, right? At its heart, idolatry is taking God on our own terms rather than his. And that is a fundamental rejection of God himself. We do not want God for himself. The people wanted the Lord and a golden calf. They wanted the Lord and a golden calf. So friends, what do you want in addition to the Lord? Like where else are you looking for your comfort, your righteousness, your justification for living? When you feel abandoned and exposed, where do you look for for security? Is it your bank account? Is it your skill, your personality, your friends? The rightness of your theology, your politics? We might say that I'm saved by Christ alone, but our lives constantly reveal that we're saved by Christ and something else. What is the something else? What are you adding into your religion before the Lord? This is honestly one of the darkest passages of the Bible. We're going to get to some of the darkness next week. The people were isolated. They were alone in their idolatry, and there's just this frivolity. But there's a hint of hope in verses 7 through 10. Because even as the Lord is threatening to destroy his people... He does so in verse 10. At the same time, he tells Moses to go down to the people. The drama began, remember, because of Moses' absence. So friends, Moses is the hope of this passage. He is the hope. And remember, Moses was God's anointed servant, God's gift to his people. In fact, he is God's chosen representative, God's choice of an image. And I want you to see two things that Moses does here. First, he utterly destroys the idol. He utterly destroys the idol. Look at verse 20. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's intense. 
He doesn't just burn it. He burns it, and then he takes what's left, and he grinds it to powder. And then he scatters it on the water and makes them drink it. In other words, what he's saying is, you know what this idol really is? It's human waste. It's human waste. And you're saying that this represents your God? How dare you? God would never choose something so easily destructible to reveal himself. That's the value of an idol. It's a waste. And Moses knows that if he is going to save his people, he needs to destroy that idol. He needs to destroy it because it's destroying them. Second, he confronts Aaron on the idolatry. He does this in verse 21. What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And see, like he's holding the leadership accountable. He's saying, you brought this onto them. And they must have done something to you. Because you're, you're, you're being crazy here. And Aaron takes no responsibility for any of this. It's the people who are evil. It's not my fault. And we have verse 24 is, is, is comical. He says, I asked for the gold and they gave it to me and then I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Because <laughs> that's how metallurgy works. You just like, throw it all in there and it just comes out. It's comical. It's supposed to be. Friends, because idolatry is comical. It's irrational. It's irrational. And what idolatry does to us is, is we distance ourselves from it and we don't take responsibility for it. What Aaron should have done here is, I'm sorry, and threw himself at the feet of Moses, the feet of the Lord, and said, forgive me, have mercy. And yet he belittles his part in this idolatry. And friends, we all do that too, don't we? We see other people's idols way easier than we do our own. We minimize our own. But friends, this passage is giving us a picture. And in Moses, we see the Lord Jesus and how he treats us. We have a picture of his intercession for those who trust him. And like Moses, Jesus comes in into our idolatry, and he confronts us. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why do you constantly worship things that are not the Lord God? Am I not enough? Do you hear Jesus confronting you this morning? And as Moses sweeps in to destroy the idol that was leading to destruction, so the Lord Jesus leads us out of idolatry into true worship. Mike preached on this passage earlier this year, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. It says, For they themselves report how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, Jesus is the idol crusher who was crushed for our idolatry. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And, but, and with his wounds, we are healed. Do you see Jesus coming in and crushing and destroying the idols of your heart? And he does it because he loves you. 
Because each of us have a choice. Either our idol can be destroyed or we will be destroyed. That's the choice. Remember the Israelites' desire to see God. Like they wanted something tangible to hold on to. They were not wrong in their desire. They were only wrong in their fulfillment. You see, the Lord reserves the right to choose his representative, his image, his idol. He is the creator, not the creature. And yet, friends, this is the beauty of the gospel, is that God has become visible in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know who, Jesus, who God is, if you want to see him, look at Jesus. And he is so complex, so beautiful, and yet so simple, full of love. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Do you want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. And friends, this is, Moses left the people, but Jesus will never leave you. His last words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this leads me to my only point of application, just one point. Exodus 32 is mentioned in the New Testament. We read it. Lisa read it. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10 says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. That's Paul's message here. He takes this story and he says, You know what this story is about? Flee from idolatry. Run from it. And friends, the truth is, is that some of us, some of us idols have very serious strongholds over us. We have to recognize that. that there are some idols that have some serious strongholds over us. There are addictions to pornography, masturbation. There's alcoholism. There's anger that is just destroying us. There are ideologies in which you can't see straight because you've bought in to a worldview that, where Jesus is not at the center of. And what the Lord is telling us this morning is flee from that. It is dangerous. Get out of there. Run from it. But I don't want you to hear this and think, okay, i got to go destroy all these idols. Because you know what? You can't. Only the Lord Jesus can. C.S. Lewis's great divorce has this, seer, this scene that has been seared into my Christian imagination. A ghost man has a small red lizard sitting on his shoulder. And the lizard whispers to him lies all the time. How the man needs him for life. And the man begins to listen to this lizard and walk away from paradise. Walk away from the Lord. He's scared. But then this heavenly creature called the Burning One comes and intervenes. And he meets this man ghost. And he asks if he can kill that lizard. And free the man. But the man is ambivalent. Because he's scared to lose it. He says, please, really... Don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. 
I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. As a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All other days are present now. And finally, the man relents and gives his permission to kill the lizard, which the burning one does. And the ghost man is immediately transformed into this magnificent man. And this lizard, this idol, this lust, turns into this, after the, the searing of it, turns into this beautiful horse. Gorgeous. The Lord has redeemed the idol and turned it back into the creature that it is. And it becomes this beautiful, this vehicle by which this ghost rides towards heaven. Friends, that is what the Lord is calling us. We have these idols whispering in our ear, and that is not life. But the Lord Jesus comes, and he promises to destroy it. Let's ask him to do that now. Father in heaven, we do come to you, and we ask for your mercies, O Lord. Your word says to keep ourselves from idols. Friends, we ask, O Lord, that you would help us, have mercy on us. Would you keep us from idols? Forgive us, O Lord, and would you purify our hearts that we might see Jesus, O Lord, the true image and idol. Lord, that is full of glory and truth. In Christ's name, amen.